Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and we've got a good one today, folks. Ed Legum is with us, and he is a business broker and advisor with Tennessee Business Brokers. Ed, welcome. Thanks. Good to be on the show. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, So let's let's just dive right into it and, and, uh, I guess, let everyone have a little taste of you and and uh your trajectory how you got in this business and uh some of your background well first we have to start with a a short disclaimer i was not born to be a business broker and to tell you the truth i've been in this industry for seven years i don't know anybody that really was born to be a business broker Mm. i was a consultant i was a management consultant for 30 years but i worked on the business side of the business broker equation and understand what does it really take to drive a business. I work with a firm called Tennessee Business Brokers. We work mainly with Main Street businesses. Typically, these businesses generate a million dollars or less in annual earnings for the owner. Uh, We also have expertise to handle mid-market business sales, larger mergers and acquisitions, as well as exit strategy planning. But that's the business, that's the business we're in. Some of the answers that we'll give you to some of the questions you'll have today, I'm sure we'll fill in some of the details. Sure, sure. Um, So now you just brought up uh, something interesting, and and you're the author of Being a Business Broker. So that harkens back to those days when you were consulting with business brokers? Well, when I was consulting, I was consulting with um, corporate corporate companies, companies that were located in Canada, the United States, Mexico. And these were, these were large corporations. Mm, okay. uh, today, we focus primarily on the 27 million businesses that generate a million dollars or less in earnings for the owner. That's, that's really the bulk of the business activity in the United States, but it doesn't really get that much respect. When people talk about business, when you read the articles in the Wall Street Journal, or if you look online on CNBC, they're usually talking about large corporations. We deal with the microcosm. What does it take to buy and sell products and services uh, through small channel distribution? Got it. Um, so let's hit the big picture. Why do businesses need a business broker? Well, they do if they're thinking about selling and, and not just selling now, but if not too distant future even a year or two down the road isn't really too far in advance to start thinking about what do you have to do now to prepare to sell your business. And a business broker is an intermediary. They act as a link between sellers and buyers in order to bring about the purchase of a business. Now, the channel faces, the challenge that business brokers face is one of communication. How do you build a bridge between sellers and buyers who have conflicting agendas? So a good business broker looks for, identifies, defines a common set of factors that both sellers and buyers can agree on that add value to a business. Now, to do this, a business broker has to understand both sides of being a business broker, what drives business and what are the requirements of the transaction. Uh, That transactional side is sometimes tedious. It's process driven. 
business owners don't have time to do that. They have to focus on running their business while they're selling their business. So they need a business broker to help set to help stand between them and the buyer. And that's that requires somebody who understands the business side of the equation. Business side is dynamic, it's creative, it's anchored on the measurement of productivity. One side without the other, whether you do the, the broker side and it's process bit driven, or if you're a, if you're really into the business side, those are both important, but it's the combination of the two that works. One side without the other really doesn't work. Um, here's an example of what, what I'm talking about. Uh, both my mother and my father owned small businesses. My mother owned a dress shop. It's called Ida's Dress Shop. And my father owned a beer distributorship. He, his big beer was Schlitz. John, I don't know if you remember Schlitz, but back in the day, <laughs> it, was one of the, it was one of the biggest beers that you could get. So he used to sell that uh -huh. quite some time ago. Yep. I, I'm also a small business owner. I mean, for 40 years, I worked for myself, you know, as a sales and management consultant, um, working with clients throughout throughout most of North America. When I finally finished that side of my life, that career came to an end. I had been working in Mexico for five years. I was 63 years old and decided when I came back to the United States, I was going to retire mm. and finally take it easy. So we moved from Atlanta to Nashville to be near our grandkids and built a new house. And of course that took about a year, but after a while I became bored. I started searching for a business to buy. And when I went to look for, for a business to buy, I looked for businesses. Um, first one I found was a business coach. Actually, they were selling their business coaching business. Um, went for one of the meetings over lunch. Their business broker uh, presented themselves pretty well. Um, but I got to a very interesting point. I said to them, where are the numbers? What is the financial situation in this business? And they handed me bank statements for 12 months. Now, oh. I explained to them, you know, these bank statements are good, but I really can't tell what the profit and loss of the business is. Right. Um, I guess it never occurred to the business broker that somebody would actually want to see the business side of the equation. They wanted to see how that business was going to produce profits. Um, they gave it to me eventually, but it was just interesting to to see that a business broker was really unprepared to provide the kind of basic financial information a buyer needed to make an informed buying decision. Uh, the second business I saw was a retail franchise. Uh, I was a retail consultant for many years, so I understood this area pretty well. This was a startup for them. They only had three stores. They had a pretty good model, and they showed me two out of the three stores productivity. And I said to them, very simply, what about the third store? And there was kind of a quiet time on the phone. And then I finally said, do you have a P&L for the third store? And they said, no, no, we're not giving. That's not part of our package. And I finally said to them, well, did it make any money? I mean, was the, was the store profitable? And you could just hear the silence on the phone. And finally, I had to, believe it or not, I had the CEO on the phone. He said, no, we didn't make any money in that store. But it's just the idea that the person that represented them the business broker, the one that was actually trying to help them sell their franchise, wasn't prepared for resistance, didn't realize that every single buyer was going to ask about that third store. It was a huge gap. Finally, I, I looked at a wellness salon, which I had knew absolutely nothing about. And 
this was an this was an interesting experience experience because when I went to see this business, I went with the business broker. I asked to see what their operations were, and their operations were exactly what you could think of. They had customers coming in; they would get get their services, and then they would uh, schedule the time for their service providers to to practice their skills. And I asked to see what that looked like. Of course, it was a single piece of paper with penciled in squares showing each square as a date and showing people moved around and eraser marks. Is it, was it automated? No. So another key component to valuing the business was missing. There was no transferable process. It was easy to do. And to make things a little bit more challenging, none of the practitioners, none of their service providers spoke English. So it was it was a challenge that, again, the business broker wasn't prepared. So I changed my strategy. Instead of looking for businesses, I was going to go look for a business broker, and I found one. I found one that was really good, and this particular fellow turned me on to a really good business. It was really vibrant. I went down to Mystery Shop, the business, of course, because I was in that world. I put together my 36-point analysis of what I'd seen and sent it off to the business broker. And uh, he called me back in 10 minutes and said, you know, I know you're not thinking about this, but have you ever thought of being a business broker? (laughs) Just that that question. Have you thought of being a business broker? Mm. Kind of turned me on. And of course, the the word stuck, being a business broker, I wrote a book about it. Uh, And because I wasn't born to be one and I didn't think anybody else was, I figured my chances were as good as anybody else. So I got into it and um, joined his firm. It's a great firm, learned a lot of things. Uh, so the question is, do businesses need a business broker? They really don't need a business broker. They need a good business broker. Mm. They don't need any business broker. They need someone who knows how to talk to buyers about the things that matter to them and someone who can bridge the gap between a seller and buyer because they understand the word business and not just broker. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, I, I love that a lot there. Um, I guess a couple things. It sounds like what you're saying is is that the a great business broker needs to understand both sides of the transaction, whoever they're representing, either the, either a seller or a buyer of the business. They need to understand both sides to make sure they uh, have a successful outcome. Uh, that's number one, and then number two. It, it um, I'm just curious what advice you'd give to business owners in selecting a good business broker, because it's not obvious to every business owner um, who's good and who's not. Well, it's, it's a good question. If you go online, you know, you'll find great business sites and each one of the sites are going to, you know, sing the praises of the business broker that you see. My feeling is if you just have a conversation with the, uh, with the business brokers you're thinking about using, and you go shopping for one, just like you would go shopping for anything else. And you see, do they have the ability to communicate with that person? Does that, does that business broker have a feel for the components that make up a successful business? Can that person take those components and package them in such a way that they can talk um, easily with any buyer uh, that comes along? So they have to be grounded you know, in, in business. Because when buyers start talking to you, they're going to ask business questions. They're going to ask the kind of questions that if you don't understand what it's going to take to drive that business or what are the underlying um, components that make that business tick, 
it's really difficult to connect with the buyer. Let's talk about sellers, uh, Ed, and what what sellers want. I mean, that seems like an obvious question. They want to sell their business, but what 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 are the wants that are underlying that big one? Well, one of the wants is they want to get away. Uh, they want to escape. They're burnt out. Uh, and that's probably the number one reason that people sell is that they've been doing it for 30 or 40 years and they're ready for something else. They're either ready for a change or they're ready to go fishing. They're ready to retire. They want, some have health problems. You know, this is, this is the time when they, they need to take care of themselves. And it's just been stretched too far. So many of them want to leave because of that. Now, some of them have other concerns when they leave. Some of them want their baby to be taken care of because they built this business. They have people working for the business that they really care about, almost like their family. And they need somebody that's going to come in there and do a good job. And, and I like that type of a seller that really wants to sell to a, buy, to, to a buyer that can run that business. Now, it, it goes a little further. I have one, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I have, I have one seller who told me the only, he was in the trucking business. He said the only people he wanted to talk to are people that were already in the trucking business. Now, that's good and bad. Uh, the good part is uh, it's going to make for a better conversation. The bad part is it limits the number of people that you can show the business to. You can only show it to strategic buyers who have already been around that block. But it worked out pretty well for this individual. And I can just see what, what happened when he did bring in somebody who had a very strong background in trucking. Uh, that individual came in, uh, it was the usual meeting, but then it changed. The buyer said to the seller, I want to see under the hood. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he had a guy had 30 trucks. He said, pick one. And the guy picked one at random. They popped the hood and looked at it. You could eat dinner off of this engine. It mm. was gorgeous. It was gleaming. I'm telling you, he picked one at random and it was absolutely perfect. And then the seller tested the buyer. He said, what's wrong with these engines? He says, you're familiar with this line of truck. What's wrong with these engines? He goes, it's the dipstick. The dipsticks are made too flimsy. They break off. Seems like a small point. He said, but you're right. And the seller just went crazy that he understood that. He said, that's why I carry these extra dipsticks. He brings out this big package of dipsticks he bought <laughs> just to replace the dips. But it's that, you know, the story itself is just a, a you know, a short short story. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's the connection. It's that ability to relate from the seller to the buyer that cuts through some of the difficulty in selling a business. If they can build a relationship like this, it makes all the difference in the world. This is an extreme story where we would only do business with people that have experience in trucks, but it's part of the business broker's job is to find those sets of common interest, something that they can both look at and agree upon. And presumably that makes later on when they're in negotiation and there's a sticking point or two that they're having trouble with. I mean, they've developed a rapport that may help them get over that. You're right, because typically a surprise of any kind can blow a deal out of the water. And if you've got a relationship that's based upon something else, and these relationships can be built pretty quickly. Um, if you've got somebody that's got that type of relationship it helps to overcome those surprises. It helps to put things into perspective and people will stick it out and actually go through the entire process together and get the job done 
which is to sell the business or to buy the business if you're the buyer. Uh, but it starts with building some type of a relationship. Ed Ligham is with us, folks. He is a business broker and advisor with Tennessee Business Brokers. So, Ed, let's talk about, I guess, understanding from a seller's point of view what their business is worth and then how you determine the asking price of the business. Well, the short answer is a business is really only worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. But what is a buyer willing to pay for it? We look at the marketplace. And we, we do have a science that goes along with the art of pricing uh, because it is subjective. There are elements in pricing that we have to take into consideration that aren't, you know, hard and fast numbers. But the first thing we do is we determine the seller's discretionary earnings for three consecutive years. So that's sometimes called SDE. You know, what is the seller putting in his or her pocket at the end of each year? Um, the second thing we do is we, we set an SDE based on performance and weighted by most recent year and current productivity. So we've, we can't just say the SDE is anything over these last three years. We've got to come up with some type of a weighted average. Or if there's a very strong trend, we'll say it's the current productivity because it seems that, for example, things went really well in 2021 or 2020 and 2021 year to date is trending in the same direction, we're going to weight that a little bit heavier. We're going to say that this is a trend that's continued over 18 months. So we're going to research the multiples of seller's discretionary earnings. These multiples are things that are sometimes called return on investment analyses. It's a multiplier of the SDE. And we don't just pick these up. Uh, there are reference guides that have been in the industry for over 30 years. Uh, the the business reference guide published by the Business Brokers Press, who also published my book, by the way, is 800 pages, and it's printed every year and has been doing it for 30 years. You can look up almost every type of business you can think of, and it's going to give you a rule of thumb that says if, it, if this is in this particular category of business and it has this particular SDE, that this is the yield that the company has produced because of great management, then we can use a multiplier of and they're going to put in a number. And it's based upon historical research, based on how many of these businesses have been sold over 30 years. And you're going to see a number that might say, okay, it's a typical retail business. It's got a multiple of two. I'm just making this up. That's the example. Right. Or, or it's a manufacturer. Maybe it's a little bit more um, desirable. Maybe that has a, a multiplier of two or 2.5 or three. And then it might be an internet-based business. And those usually ask for a premium at this point. So that might be a multiple of five. But we, we come up with a multiple that makes sense. And then we make sure that it makes sense for that business. Is there something about that business, some niche that gives it an advantage? Or is there something missing from that business that for whatever reason might want you to cut back a little bit on the multiplier? And we talk about this, we show the, uh, the sellers the work that we've done and then we come, try to come up with an agreed-upon price. That's not always easy because this is the, the seller's baby. This is something they might have invested 25 years in. Right. Maybe, they've, maybe they've invested more than that. Maybe their whole family has invested in this. So they start looking at this sweat equity, and they look at the emotional connection that they have with this business, and they tend to overvalue the business. But to tell you the truth, it doesn't work because buyers – 
are only interested in replacing income. They've got to create income. They've got to see, they've got to visualize themselves in this business making a living. So that's the first and foremost driver on the buyer. The seller, of course, has their own emotional connection to the business. Those are those conflicting agendas that we talk about in the, you know, in the, in the early part of our discussion, where the seller has got a mindset that's going in one direction and the buyer is going in a slightly different direction. How do you bring them together? And that, that's what we try to do. I got you. Now, you know, I'm curious about, um, I guess, what, what, when should a seller engage with you? Um, I would imagine there's uh, some lead time <laughs> that you would pref- prefer uh, to work with a seller, get to know their business, and maybe make some recommendations on how they can improve the value of their business. Well, it's a, it's a very good point. And again, it's, there's no one right answer for every business. Um, some businesses want to get involved in an exit strategy planning session that could take as much as two years or even three years. They know somewhere in the not too distant future, they're going to sell this business. They want to maximize or optimize their return, the cash that they take out of that business. So they come to companies such as ours and they, we work together and we put them through a, a, a program that helps them to increase the yield of their resources. This is management's, uh, this is the first uh, measure of good management is how can you take your resources and increase the productivity of those resources. We will work with companies like that. Uh, that's not the typical Main Street uh, engagement. The, the typical Main Street engagement is they're ready to go. You know, they want to leave. They don't want to spend two years on it or one year on it. They just want to do it. So we we do the best we can. And there are, there are certain components that we that we try to help them improve as we go along. But we we're limited by time. So we do the best we can. And sometimes it's a matter of communication. How do we take what they've got and package it in such a way, even if we don't do anything to change the way they do business, how do we package the best of what they have to make the best, most compelling statement to a buyer? Yeah, for sure. Now let's talk to those sellers that want to plan ahead. They're thinking about transition. I mean, what are like the top three things sellers can do to increase the perceived value of their businesses? Well, that's a really good question. Now, you might be familiar with the movie, The Founder. Mm-hmm. That's a story about Ray, Ray Kroc. Yeah, Ray Kroc. Mm-hmm. And how he discovered, quote unquote, discovered McDonald's. It wasn't always flattering. Uh, they showed both sides of Ray Kroc, played beautifully by Michael Keaton. Um, what did he find when he went and looked at McDonald's? He was a milkshake. He was a milkshake machine rep. He re, he was a salesman. You know, he got a big order because somebody wanted eight of these things, mm-hmm. and it was McDonald's. But he he drove across country to see what they were doing. He was so curious as to why all of a sudden they're buying so many of these, where he was having trouble with other companies even buying one or two. So he goes to this place uh, because of the milkshake makers. And he sees the operation. It's assembly line efficiency. It's a process that can be easily replicated. It's got a great name. It's got a great product. They show in one part of the movie, it's it's a fascinating story, uh, where the original McDonald brothers have their crew, their 
their their store's personnel out on a parking lot with chalk. And they're chalking out the floor traffic flow and how things are going to be moving in the back room where the where the hamburgers are being made. And it's it's just wonderful. They move it and they see that doesn't work and then they move it again and they erase the chalk and it doesn't work. That's the kind of thinking that would propel any business and make it easy for any business to sell is it's got to be packaged in a way that somebody sees, I can buy this and run this. There's a machine here. There's a system that's in place that increases the yield of this business's resources better than other businesses I've seen. And they've got the component. They've got a great place of business. They've got a a great product. They've got a a method where they can standardize the uh, performance of their people. They've got a process that's clearly defined that can be reproduced. And they're promotionally oriented. They can can promote the business. All those components are found in almost every franchise model that you would see. That's why franchises are easier to, to sell because they've got a brand name that they can, they can recognize immediately. The buyer knows exactly what they're buying and they've got the, the they've got the owner's manual. I mean, they walk in the door and they're handed a loosely finder, say come to school for two weeks at the end of that period, they're off and running and there's going to be a line of people waiting to, to buy their services. The first day they open up mm. the franchise model has proof of productivity. What we try to do is the same thing. We try to prove that this company can produce. And the three best things that a company can do to increase this perceived value of their business is, number one, to communicate, to prepare a marketing package that clearly tells buyers what they're getting into. They can see themselves running the business. That's how franchisors sell their franchises. The second thing they can do is to prepare their place of business. People buy with their eyes. This is visual communication. If you see things that are out of place, that's going to be magnified when the buyer comes and takes a look at your business. And your place of business isn't just the physical brick and mortar. Now it's the place of business is your website. And people are going to have the exact same experience when they go there. This is part of your place of business. So yes, that's another way that they can prepare. And the third thing is they have to prepare for resistance. This is also part of communication. Just like we talked about in the experience in the uh, experiences that I had in trying to buy a business, shouldn't the seller have been prepared with a financial statement? Shouldn't they have been prepared with an answer to the question of how do you operate your business better than a sheet of penciled and erased images? Shouldn't the seller have been prepared for the third instance where there was a complete um, financial model missing, where one of the three stores wasn't even reported? This is, this is part of your preparation. So the three, part, the three things you can do is to, prepare, is to prepare your marketing package, prepare your place of business, and prepare for resistance. There's lots of other things you can do. These are the three keys that I think to communication that would make the biggest differences. Folks, we're speaking with Ed Legum. Ed is a business broker and advisor with Tennessee Business Brokers. Ed, you mentioned the movie Founder, and one of the one of the uh, other points I think in that movie is just the to your point earlier about the differences in perspectives between sellers and buyers. That movie really highlighted that, didn't it? I mean, between uh, 
the way. <laughs> for, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> Talk more about that. Well, that was an extreme case. Uh, and that's why it made such a great movie. I mean, that, that's the 1% of 1% of 1% uh, where somebody finds this business and it turns into a gold mine. Uh, most are more mundane than that. Uh, but the, the, the business, the, the founder did expose some of the themes where there are clashes in, and conflicts in agendas. You know, um, Michael Keaton's character, which was Ray Kroc, uh, was totally focused on what he could do to increase the profitability of the business and be damned or, you know, everything else. You know, he didn't care about the idea that the McDonald brothers had some type of integrity that they were trying to preserve. That wasn't important to Ray Kroc. Under normal conditions, that deal wouldn't have gone down. There would have been problems. But because it was so dramatic and because it was so intense and because of the situation and the results that came years later, it makes for a tremendous story. Not the average story, but a tremendous story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, um, most business brokers, as I understand it, they pretty much confine their practice to representing sellers. Is that true for you or do you represent buyers as well? Um, it's the, there are differences. Sometimes we do take what are called a buyer side engagement. Those are not typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, buyer side engagement usually comes from an investment group that are looking for a particular investment. It's rare that it comes from an individual, but sometimes an individual will ask us to help them in their search. Like I did when I, when I went out looking for a business to buy, mm-hmm. um, most of the time, uh, by and large, we work for the seller. Our fiduciary responsibility is to represent the seller. But you brought up a very good point. And the point is, you know, where does your, you know, where is your allegiance? Where is your allegiance? And sometimes this becomes a little blurred because even though you, if you're the seller, are my customer, we are my client, we have to deal with a third party. And the third party is the buyer and the buyer's about to spend money with you. And that qualifies that person to be called a customer. So we have to treat that person like a customer and help that person buy. There's no adversarial relationship here. We're just going to try to help them buy. Right. And, and to be clear, you're paid off a proportion of the proceeds. So you've got an incentive that, that where you're sitting on the same side of the, of the table as the seller, right? That's true. I try to put that into suspended animation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think about that uh, again at my age. And, and, and you'll find this to be true with a lot of business brokers. It's one of the few industries left in the world or one of the few categories of businesses where they embrace age. You know, being old is not a bad thing <laughs> if, you're a business, if you're a business broker. I hate to put it that way, but it's the easiest way I can say it. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in the world, if you go out and you're 70 years old and you try to find a quote-unquote job, very difficult. Um, you're, over, you know, you're, you're beyond that age where they feel they want to make an investment in you. But as a, an advisor, a financial advisor or a business broker, you're perfect because you've been around the block. You've got white hair. You can, you can deal with the situations and not get freaked out. And that's the kind of thing that I think you're alluding to. Yes, we make a commission off the sale. In our particular firm, we make no money at all until 
the sale is made. And mm. at that time, we will make a percentage of the sale as our uh, payback for the contributions we've made towards helping this deal ha- take place. So I guess let, let's talk about the, we talked about the things sellers can do to increase the perceived value of their business, but, but let's talk about, I guess, the details of actually selling the business and what it takes to sell the business once you've decided you're going down that road. Well, most of the, um, most of the buyers suffer from fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Mm-hmm. And for good reason. Even though the SBA may require a buyer to come up with 10% down in cash, that 10% down sometimes, and many times, is 100% of what the buyer has available to put into the business. So it's a major, it's a major decision for them. Um, so they're going to have some hesitancy, some, re- some reluctance, to go forward, they have to be very careful, and they are very careful, and for, for good reason. The seller, of course, wants to make this sale, and they want it to happen tomorrow. Uh, it takes, on average, six months, nine months, or a year to sell a business. It just does. Um, there are situations where you can sell one a little bit quicker than that, but from the time you start until the time you finish, it's not unusual to go nine months or even 12 months. And during that time, there are a number of steps that, that we have to go through to make this happen. And this is, this is transactional, but within each of these transactions, there's a good deal of understanding of the business that takes place. During our first meetings, uh, we're going to learn about our sellers' businesses. We're going to gather financial information. Uh, the second thing we'll do is go through that valuation, uh, recast their financials, work with them, uh, and also share with them uh, the industry valuation research that we do. We sometimes review comparables. Uh, that doesn't always work because it depends on what's, what part of the country you're in. So if we find a comparable in California and we're trying to sell that same business in Nashville, they may have different values, but we, we come as close as we can to coming up with some background information. Uh, we'll discuss all of this. We'll set a price. Uh, we'll enter into a listing ag- agreement with uh, the finalized asking price with the seller. Uh, a big part of what we do is marketing. You know, and the first thing that I did, my first business that I owned was a small ad agency. Uh, so it's, it's good to be able to have that as part of your background uh, as a business broker. The idea that you can take and package uh, what is being said and what's being communicated in a compelling way. So that when you talk to a buyer, you're talking in language that they understand. Mm. What are the things that they care about? Mm-hmm. What are the fears that they have? Can you overcome that in your marketing piece? And if you do, that'll solve a lot of the problems. So we we put a lot of energy into putting that marketing piece together and making it sound right and helping buyers to understand what they really are getting for their money. A uh, big part of what we do is buyer management. You know, we, we're an intermediary, so we respond to buyer inquiries. Uh, we make sure we get an NDA from all buyers. We get their financial statements to make sure that they qualify. Um, we meet and pre-qualify with the buyers. We determine their interests. Um, and then if it turns out that they've got uh, the right stuff and if, they're, if they have sufficient interest and they qualify, we'll set up those buyer-seller meetings and act as the host during those meetings. Uh, we'll help them all the way with negotiations. It's pretty clear. There's no reason why we have to hide the fact to both buyers and sellers that there's going to be a negotiation. We make sure they understand that that's going to happen. And we explained 
to the buyer how to create an offer to purchase. That's usually in the form of a letter of intent to purchase. We help them put those together. Uh, and again, we're helping them buy. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not that we're not still servicing the needs of our client, but we have to help the customer buy. In many cases, the customers we're dealing with, the buyers, have never bought a business before. Sure. We make the offer. Um, we, again, sit and make sure we participate in all those meetings. Uh, if it turns out that they do come to an agreement on the LOI, we then go into a due diligence period. This could be anywhere from, depending on whether they need an SBA loan or whether they have all the funding that they need. This could take uh, literally two weeks or it could take three months. Uh, in the due diligence, this is where the, uh, the buyer has the right to check every single thing off down to the finest detail, line-by-line analysis on the P&Ls. Uh, we go through that entire process together. And again, we make sure to help both parties get this done. Uh, closing, we need a closing attorney. We have a network of relationships that we have with both bankers and attorneys. We bring in the right person that acts as the, the, the person that will actually create the document, the purchase agreement, and then takes care of closing at the final closing meeting. Unlike a house, uh, it doesn't take long to close a business. You know, once, once you've established the purchase agreement, if you go to closing, a closing could take 20 minutes. Mm. Got it. Now, yeah, this has been great, and I would love it as we kind of wind down here. I would love it if you could maybe – Share a success story that you're particularly proud of in terms of a, a client relationship that, um, uh, or a client engagement that, that ended up awfully well because you were involved. Well, the, uh, I have to do one that's kind of personal. Um, I had a friend who I actually went to college with. So I've known this guy since he was 18 years old. He had a, a wonderful business. He was in construction consulting. He had a great consu- consulting job, consulting construction consulting uh, business. And he asked me to help him uh, sell his business. And, you know, it, it had all the elements. It had all the components that uh, a typical sale would have. You know, he had specialized knowledge. And one of the things that buyers are concerned about is how do you replace a key individual like that that's not just the owner, but also the main um, person who had to actually deliver the services and deliver the product. It was so one person oriented. How do you replace that person? So fortunately, we were able to find people who don't necessarily have the consultant side, but had a lot of background in construction. And we were able to help one of those individuals see how they could take their specialized knowledge in their world of, of construction and use that to help them do the same things that basically a, uh, a business broker would do, act as an intermediary and help their clients get the most out of their relationships with their contractors. Because they were a con- construction consultant. They dealt with uh, home subdivisions, residential subdivisions, uh, apartment complexes. They helped them manage those construction projects. But it was very satisfying for me um, and it was, it was a classic case of communicating and helping the buyer see themselves in the position of owning that business. It's why Ray Kroc bought McDonald's, mm-hmm. because he could see the potential. And that's really where some of the, the best sales take place is when the buyers finally get that vision. You know, they, they see 
what the potential is. And they see themselves driving the bus. Ed Legum, folks. Uh, uh, wow, lots of great information here. And uh, Ed, I can't imagine that after hearing this interview, there aren't folks that uh, wouldn't want to be in touch with you to talk about uh, either selling their business or buying one for that matter. Uh, so let's get to the important question, which is how they can get in touch with you. Well, the first thing you can do is then go to our website and look around and take a closer look at, at our firm. It's uh, TennesseeBusinessBrokers.com, but it's spelled TEN, T-E-N-N, BusinessBrokers.com. Uh, the second thing they could do, I'd love to talk to anybody who would love to talk to me, and they can call me directly at my telephone number, which is 770-715-3333. And finally, they can send me an email, ed at edlegum.com. That's legum is L-E-G-U-M. Anybody that sends me an email, I'd love to send them a free copy of my book, a digital version. Um, so anybody would like to get in touch with me, I'd love to talk to you about your business. That's awesome. Ed Legum, folks, Tennessee Business Brokers. Ed, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Folks, just a, a quick reminder that you can find our show on all the major podcast platforms, uh, in addition to uh, NashvilleBusinessRadioX.com if you're in front of a computer. But uh, most of us are on the go, so uh, go to your favorite podcast app and put in Nashville Business Radio, and you'll find the show. And we would love it if you would subscribe, but we would love it even more if you would give us a five-star review. Now, that's not about me. It's not about Business Radio X. It's about our great guests like Ed, who uh, do great work and deserve to be found. And uh, you're helping uh, our guests by uh, giving the show a great review and making it uh, easier to find uh, for folks that maybe uh, want to use the services of Ed and the other great guests that we have had on the show and will have on the show as uh, we go along here. So we would love it if you would do that for us. Uh, and support the show in that way. So for my guest, Ed Legum, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.